If you have your Bible, you want to turn to the book of Romans with me. We'll be in Romans chapter 5 today. I know when you think of Christmas, you think of Romans. That's why we're starting out here uh, where we are. Romans chapter 5. We've been in Acts. The next book of the Bible is Romans. So you just have to turn a couple of pages over. That's where we're going to be. Uh, As we start our Christmas series, looking at uh, different reflections in the Old Testament and the revelations that came through Jesus Christ, it's been pretty... uh, fantastic, phenomenal just to dig into God's word and to see uh, what he's got planned for us. I I started thinking, what are the moments in history that changed the world the most? What are the most world-changing moments in history? And, And I went um, to where every, you know, the source of all knowledge is Google, because everything you read on Google is right, is what I've heard. Um, and do you know, as I went through all the, like, this top 10 moments in history, the top 20 moments in histories, and not counting wars, because wars tend to be personal. Like, we think American histor- historical wars, wars are life-changing. Um, people uh, in, in Chinese history, and China's history, they, they see different worlds. So, getting all the wars out do you know I could only find one event that was on the vast majority of all these lists that went out from historical channels to to uh, university websites there was one event that was agreed upon throughout all of them believe it or not it was the Gutenberg press now, if you don't know a whole lot about the Gutenberg Press in the 15th century, um, the, the Dark Ages had come in, the Ottoman Empire had, had uh, taken over the Middle East, a lot of historical records had been burnt down, the Dark Ages were well upon all of uh, the land, so to speak, uh, so much knowledge and wisdom had been lost, and the only way to copy books was by hand. That was the only way that books had been written. And the average writer that just wrote all day long by hand could, could record 40 pages a day. 40 pages a day is all that they could write. Now, I don't know how many pages your Bible has in it, but I don't write as small as mine. Mine's got, you know, roughly... 1200 pages in the super small front that I've got in there think about 40 pages a day you mathematicians that feels like a long time on one book and on one book you could only give that book to how many people one person and so the the ability to transfer knowledge or to destroy history was so easy it it just in a moment just in in a in just a, a second you could erase all kinds of things Well, the Gutenberg Press, invented in the 1500s, changed that 40 pages a day to 3,600 a day. Now, if you were to do the math on that, that's somewhere around a 900 multiplier that comes into that, or a 90 multiplier. All all of a sudden, we have this ability to print and to record. Um, The first large order on the Gutenberg Press was the Bible. 200 copies, all sold before they ever happened, all in Latin. I mean, could you imagine people had never had the written word? All they had was the transfer of what one guy memorized to another and and hoping that we had it right. We had no way to understand if it was true or accurate. And the authenticity of the Bible, just for free, it is the most authentic uh, scripture uh, book that we have. There's no other book that we have as many copies as close to the original source uh, as we do of, of scripture. 
And so all of a sudden with the Gutenberg press, we absolutely have opportunity for the Bible, but in the first 75 years, all of a sudden, half a million books are in print. That all of a sudden, learning is growing exponentially. The dark ages are over. Without the Gutenberg press, the Renaissance period never even happens. So as you look across all of history, it's funny that, that people come together and say, well, that moment, not that 400 years, not this, that moment was one of the most historically impactful moments in the history of man. That's pretty amazing to me. I'm a fan of printed uh, stuff. I'm a fan of reading and I like that. But, but as a believer, it just started to make me think. If you look around my house, we decorated for Christmas and by we decorated for Christmas, I mean we unwrapped everything and Christy put it in its proper place. But we have nativities in different places around our house. Do you have nativities in your home for Christmas? And the nativity scene is just the scene, a snapshot of one moment where Jesus is born, Mary, Joseph, and baby Jesus. That's the nativity scene, and we can expand upon it, make it bigger, but, but at its core, it's that moment. And when I was reading about this press, and I was thinking of this series, it just made me strikingly say, I, I know the Gutenberg press was a historically changing moment, but the birth of Jesus Christ is the most important moment snapshot that ever happened and without the birth of Christ you don't have the crucifixion of the cross and don't get me wrong the work that Christ did on the cross was absolutely necessary but without his coming it never happens and and so I started stop to stop thinking nostalgically about you know just the tender moment and what it would have been like to see all of creation all of my expectations in that moment because as a Jew when the Messiah came there were a lot of things attached to him and I think the birth of Christ as we look through Old Testament over the next four weeks as we look at the birth of Christ in week five what we're going to really see is that in Jesus Christ this moment was so potent so powerful so historically life-changing for all of mankind and for all of creation because of how the Lord revealed the need of man for him and how Jesus Christ was the only one, the unique one, to be able to do it all. So today, we're going to start looking at our first type of Christ. You're going to see this, this phrase written throughout Scripture. You're going to see it this morning in, in Romans chapter 5. When, when the Bible says a type of Christ, just to let you know on the front end, it, it doesn't mean like a, an off-brand you know what I mean? This isn't like the, the version of Oreos that's like Erios. You with me? This is not, this is not that. What, what a type of Christ means is, it, it, what I would tell you is to picture a cutout pattern, a cardboard cutout with no details in it. In other words, there are some things about this person that make and reflect the need for or the potency of Christ in, in the Messiah in the coming future. And so you, you might call it just someone's best pattern pointing to the authentic thing. So when we see the word type of Christ, I want you to know it doesn't mean that there were a lot of Christ and then Jesus just hit the jackpot. Quite honestly, what it means is these are men, these are relationships in Scripture. 
that make creation salivate for the real thing. And the first one is Adam. Romans chapter 5. If you have your Bible with me, turn to verse 12. We're going to read verse 12, 13, and 14 this morning. This is what the Bible says. And therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, this is Adam, and death through sin, so death spread into all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but, no, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses even over those sinning, those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. Now there's a lot in this. This is one of those passages where I could read it over and over and get confused all the way through. So we're gonna take it in small chunks as we look at that. First is looking at Adam and how he as an insufficient type of Christ is revealed completely in the coming, the birth of Jesus Christ. So, so Paul starts writing this message, and if you're uh, if you're been in the Bible for a long time, relationship with Christ for a long time, when you think Romans chapter five, you probably go up to verse eight, right? Verse eight. But God shows His love for us in this that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When we go to chapter five, that's often where we go, and that that beginning is important. But then Paul sets up as he's talking about salvation and what Christ has done and how He's been at work through us. We really find ourselves in verse twelve. And we see that just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all have sinned. Now at the end of verse 12, my Bible has a little dash, right? It's almost like there was an extra long space in there. And, and the reason for that is that, that there, there's, a, there's a change of thought that's going on. It's not that that marker means anything, but it's almost like you're going to see a thought going out where Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is saying, now everyone, listen, as we're talking about salvation in Christ, as we're talking about life in Christ, as we're talking about everybody, all the sin in the world, you know death spread to all men because all sinned. And then he said, wait a second, maybe you don't understand how that could be. I, I it's, it's as if God says, you and I need to understand sin in order to understand Christ. Because there's a lot of, a, a lot of opinions on sin. There's a lot of ideas on sin. It, it'll make us question our measuring sticks. Like, who gets to say where sin starts and where sin ends? How, how did that work? How did the process come in? The Holy Spirit wants you and I to have no dark space in this understanding of how Adam ushered in sin and how Jesus Christ offered something that was much more. And so he, he paused at this point that says, you know, all sinned. And he says, well, let me, let me walk you through what I think you're thinking. And he's talking to a Jewish mindset. Verse 13, for sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. And this is almost like the puzzle that Paul knows is going to be presented that says, listen, if, if the law wasn't given, if the rules aren't made clear then how can there be sin? You know, for instance, if, if you tell your child, don't touch the stove, it's hot, and they touch it, there's a consequence. We totally understand that, right? We, we totally get that. But if you don't tell your child that it's hot, there's no law to break, 
then why is there a consequence when they touch the toes, the stove? There shouldn't be a consequence. Paul, Paul would say, in, in our life, as we look at the law in Christ, we would say, listen, it, when the Ten Commandments came, when the law came to Moses, we know that that started a point of accountability. And, and Adam, in his story and understanding Adam, in Genesis chapter 1, 2, 3, and 4, we know that Adam was told by God a clear command. Out of all of creation, I give you dominion. Out of all of creation, I give you responsibility. Out of all of creation, it's your job to steward all creation, to rule over it, not as God, because I am God, but to steward it to my glory. And everything, you can eat off of anything you want, but one tree. Just one tree you can't eat off of. You can have everything else. And what does Adam do? Adam and Eve, they go to the tree, they believe a twisted lie by the enemy. It plays into their desires. And he eats of the tree that he was told not to. Adam broke the command. Like, it's obvious for Adam and it's obvious for Moses and beyond because when the law is given of what it's like to be right with God, how to have a right relationship with God, those laws are clear. Verse 14, yet here's the problem. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, of Adam who is a type of the one to come. You see, understanding Adam is important in understanding the power and the potency of Christ coming. Because you might say, well, between Adam and Moses, there was no law, so you could do whatever you wanted to. Everyone could do what was right in their own eyes and still be okay with God because there was no sin. The Holy Spirit inspires Paul to write these words. Here's the problem. When you touch the stove and it's hot, you still get burned. That means what you're doing is bad for you. It's harmful to you. He says, look at death. When Adam was made, there was no death, only life. But when Adam sinned, death started to rule. It started to reign. Adam gave up what he had and death became the ruler. How do you know? Because death reigned from Adam through all of his sons, through all of his grandchildren, through all of his great children, all the way to Moses. So even when there was no law that was given, death, the consequences of sin, was still in charge of our life. You see, you and I may think we have a lot of power and a lot of control in our life, but the reality is, is that death shows us we are not the boss. Amen? I mean, this is why doctors and nurses have jobs. If no one was afraid of dying, if everybody was okay with, with gonna live forever, we wouldn't have a medical uh, group in this town. There would be no need for it. But the reality is, is every man, every woman, every boy, every child who's ever lived, no matter what they say, no matter what they believe, no matter where they go, death is the proof that something rules over you. And this is the problem. Adam to Moses in the middle, even to those who were not clear, death is the proof. And the coming of Jesus Christ is so much more than the death that Adam ushered in. 
So when you look at the nativity, I want you to start seeing the picture of what we're talking to. Verse 15, Romans chapter five. Look at me in your Bible. The Bible says this way, but the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more has the grace of God and the free gift of grace by the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. You see, the, the first thing to understand is Adam lost what he had and Jesus offers what we don't. If you, if you wanna know something that's much better, this game is not about how good you are, how much you can impress Christ, or if you can be better at it than Adam. There were a lot of better people than Adam was a good person, but they still couldn't obtain what he lost. Death was given over, was taking the reins, and Adam got the wages for his sin. He was given a reign. He chose to sin and death ruled. But what the Bible says in Jesus Christ is something so much more. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace that the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. Here's the thing, that the work of sin penetrated, but the work of Christ abounds. See, God in Jesus Christ isn't looking to you to fix something, to get it right, and, and to make it happen. He, he's looking at you to receive the gift that he offers. That's it. That's the role. Have you ever thought about that at Christmas time? It, it, it's one thing to have a wage and to earn it. It's another thing to receive a gift. If, it, try this for Christmas. It'll, it'll make Christmas really fun. On Christmas morning, if that's when you exchange Christmas presents, if you have children in the house, just wake up, get them downstairs, let them see all the presents you're about to give them or however that's gonna work in your house and say, but before you open them, I need you to mop the floor, I need you to do the windows, blow off the yard and mow the neighbor's front yard. And then you will have earned your gift. Do you think they'll be like, yes! this year the most brilliant parent ever no because that's not a gift you see a gift is something that i didn't earn that's offered freely to me and what scripture says is what adam did is he gave up what he had and he took what he earned which was death and through adam all of us in sin have surrendered that same thing but in the coming of jesus christ he offers a gift, an unearned, free to us that abounds in grace. So, so church, when you see that nativity, you're not there to look at your sin. When you see the nativity, when you think of the Messiah in the flesh, Jesus, that representation is about what he has to give to you. Church, how much better is that than what we have to offer to him? Lord, I can give you what I have sacrificed and what is deteriorating. And Jesus says, I don't want it, but I've got a gift for you. So Jesus is so much more than Adam because he offers what he has where Adam made us give up what we, what we lost. 
Now look in your Bible at verse 16 as we go a little further. This is what scripture says. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. See, Adam earned the judgment and Jesus offered justification. Now, now follow me on this. The Bible says very clearly, in one moment, one man's sin caused death to reign. This is an amazing thing to think about. At the beginning of creation, one man's sin opened the door and death rules over all creation. And that's pretty amazing. One sin, death came in. If Jesus would have come right then, it would have been incredible, right? If, if in that moment, Jesus would have, would have come to earth, God made flesh, and been sufficient for Adam's sin, that would have been one thing. But think about it. How many years have passed since the beginning? Thousands of years billions of sins hundreds of billions of people and when Jesus Christ came to earth as a babe and lived a life obedient to God and died on the cross his grace was not just sufficient for that one man's sin at one point in time it was greater than the billions of sins over thousands of years and hundreds of billions of people. How much more is the gift of Christ than what we've earned on our own? In church, what scripture says is that abounds to us. And in that, Jesus offers justification. And the word justification, it, it really means to make everything good. It's to wipe away the sentence, to wipe away the, the guilt. It's to say, you and I, there's a reason for what's going on, and I want you to know it's all okay. It's not some false justification. It's not you and I trying to trial and error our way to Jesus. Church, what sin does is it attempts to justify. It attempts to say, this is why I did it. This is why I believe it. This is where I'm going. This is why I am the way that I am. Justification looks for an answer. And when there is no answer to be found, what justification does in Adam's world in sin is it looks to us as the self-justifier, right? Because if my truth is what I use to judge the whole world by, then I can always reconcile with myself. That's what we say. But what do we know the truth is? We know that there's a greater truth than our truth. We know that there's something more powerful than what we in ourselves would create. And so the justification that we would offer to ourselves still keeps us subject to death physically, emotionally, relationally, spiritually. But the justification that Jesus Christ offers because he is greater than Adam, because he is God made flesh, because he is the redeemer and the reconciler, his justification is more than thousands of years, billions of sins and hundreds of millions of people. What Paul says is how much more is Jesus Christ than you ever thought 
verse 16, the Bible says this. There's verse 17. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Church, Adam ushered in death's reign, but in Christ, we reign in life with him. Have you ever, have you ever noticed this, this picture? One man's trespass, one man's sin, and death reigned. We, we know the consequence of sin. We know the stigma of it. We know that one event in our past can make us be labeled for all days to come. What the Bible says is that's what sin does. Sin leads you to sin. Sin leads you to trespass. In other words, to do wrong against another, to do wrong against the Lord. And when you do wrong against the Lord, guess what the enemy does? It convicts you in that moment. It tells you that you belong to the world of sin and death. It tells you that you do not have any way out. There is no way of hope. Just one moment slams all of the doors. Have you ever felt the sting of sin in your life like that? You are trying to make the right decision for your family. You're just trying to keep the peace. You're just trying to make sure that bread was on the table or your kids weren't in need. you were just trying to be happy and you cut a corner you knew you were cutting you knew it was wrong but you justified it because the ends justify the means but as soon as you sin as soon as you cut that corner what happens and the weight of that sin it buries you it it rests upon our shoulders and it doesn't go away until someone frees us from it. What scripture says is this, death reigns through one man over all of mankind, but in Jesus Christ, something better happens, something more potent happens. We reign in life. Church, it, it, it's, it's not just a reversal of creation. This is amazing. If, if Jesus Christ wasn't much more than Adam, if he was just a different Adam or the, the second one in order, if that's all that he was, he would just reverse this. So instead of being ruled by death, you, you now are the ruler again. You will be in charge. You'll make it happen. But Christ doesn't just reverse the sin and, and the stain of death. What Christ does is much more. He makes you reign in life. How? Look at verse 17. Through Jesus Christ, the one man, Jesus Christ. Here, here's what Adam does, church. And I, I wrote this in my, in my scripture because it was potent. Adam was an image bearer of God. All of men, all women are created in the image of God. You who received the gift of grace from Jesus Christ are more than an image bearer. You are a son and a daughter of the Most High God. Adam wasn't adopted into God's family that way. 
He was an image bearer in perfection and had relationship with God, and we will sow that. But I'm telling you, when Christ returns, when you and I rise with him, that there is more. Because now, when you receive the gift of salvation through the coming of the one, Jesus Christ, then you don't just reign. You reign with him in life through him because you are part of his family. How much better is that? How much better is it to, to be a child of God instead of just a trusted person who works the field of God? How much better is it to be a daughter of the king than just one who is trusted to oversee a part of his kingdom? How much better to be an heir than a servant? See, what Scripture tells to us in verse 17 is this, is that Adam ushered in death's reign, but Christ offers so much more because he ushers in life reigning with God through God as part of his family. Church, this morning, have you ever thought about it as you look at the nativity, as you look in that moment, that that moment that Christ came allowed you and I to be invited out of a story that was being ruled over us and into a story where we are part of the family of the author. The coming of the one, verse 18 and 19. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, by one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. See, in Adam, we're condemned, but in Christ, we're made righteous. We, we don't need to, to continue hammering the, the nail on the head of what Adam deserves. Adam and, and when you and I, we get what we deserve. When, when you and I sin, we get what we earn. But in Jesus Christ, you and I aren't simply justified. We're made right with God. pause for just a moment because this is one of those life-changing things it's not just being wiped clean it's not just saying we had a reason it's okay they were broken it's offered a right relationship with God an opportunity to be made right with the king church it's one thing when you sin against your husband or your wife for them to say I forgive you and you leave it alone I get it you were in a bad place. I get it. It was a tough season. I get it. You were scared. It's one thing to see justification, but what Christ offers is so much more than this legalistic justification. What Christ offers is life. Verse 18 leads to justification and to life for all men. For by one man's disobedience, we were made sinners. By one man's obedience, we will be made righteous. Christ doesn't just say, I get it. He says, I will restore you to be right with me. Church, when Jesus Christ came to earth and was born that night, what he brought with him would change eternity for all who would receive his gift. The ability to be right with God. 
the ability to have a relationship with him that Adam had lost. The ability to stand cleanly dressed, white robes before the king. All of your sins wiped away, not just accounted for, but every single thing made good. Church, in Jesus Christ, what he has forgiven you of, that shame should fall on the floor because it has no place with him. For all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. Not a single person has escaped the stain of sin. And the Lord knows that. And after hundreds of millions of sins that have happened over all these years, Christ died for you. Why? Because he desired for you to be right with him. That's it. What does it look like to be right with him? Well, it means that your past is all justified. It means that when you look in the mirror, what you see is not who you are, but there's much more. It's not just an image bearer of God. Every man, every woman who walks the faith of this earth, church, is an image bearer. But in Jesus Christ, you are a child adopted into the king's family. So why did God give the law? Why did he make the rules evident? Verse 20. Now the law came in to increase the trespass. <laughs> Where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Church, grace was always God's plan. It wasn't that God created man and something happened and then all of a sudden he thought, plan B, sprinkling grace. In fact, the law was given so that grace could abound all the more. In other words, God wasn't saying, ooh, I want you to sin a lot so that I can show you how gracious I am. That's bad. I mean, we want our children to know that, that we're gracious towards them, that nothing they could ever do would make us, you know, not want them but we don't want them to put us to the test, amen? No one's going home and saying, give it your best shot. <laughs> it's bad theology, bad parenting. But here's what happens. Between Adam and Moses and to all of us before the Lord showed us his word and gave us his, his law, his grace, his rule, before we, before we understood it, we were trespassing against the Lord and we didn't even know it all the time. We knew something was wrong. We knew, we, we knew some things were wrong. We knew we weren't perfect. We would state that. I haven't ever met a man or woman who's ever said, I'm, I'm perfect. So God gave the law so that it would be evident how sin is ruling in your life. It didn't make you sin. It just made you aware of a need. And just like spring rain makes the weeds grow up, it makes the flowers grow too. So if you can look at the people around you in this room and say not a single one of them is perfect, 
This room is filled with peoples whose ledgers are messed up. But what I see is grace and grace and grace. And that grace, the reason Christ came to earth, Emmanuel, God with us, was this. So that his grace through his life might lead us to eternal life through him. Gutenberg Press is pretty awesome. But how much more the babe, the son of God. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. Lord, we come to you today. Lord, we trust you. Lord, I don't need to blame Adam for all of my sin because death has reigned in my life since I took my first breath, since I had my first thought. How much more is Jesus Christ? I know why the angels rejoiced to announce the good news and I can only imagine their excitement when the angel said, he is not here, he is risen. Grace worked because Christ is much more. So Lord, today I pray in this moment that there is a single person who has not known the much more of Christ. Lord, today they would taste eternal life through you. Through confessing their need, believing you are committing to follow you every day of their life. What an amazing Christmas. We love you, Jesus, in your name.